with Psalm 67, verse 0. <clears throat> For the director of music with stringed instruments, a psalm, a song. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us so that your ways be, may be known on earth, your salvation amongst all nations. May the peoples praise you, God. May all the peoples praise you. May the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you rule the peoples with equity and guide the nations of the earth. May the peoples praise you, God. May all the peoples praise you. The land yields its harvest. God, our God, blesses us. May God bless us still, so that the ends of the earth will, will fear him. This is the word of the Lord. Well, during our time together this weekend away, each time we have together around God's word, we're going to focus on one word from scripture. And hopefully by the end of our time, you're going to see how these three words fit together in our effort to bring God glory by taking his gospel message to the ends of the earth. Now, I apologize in your, in your booklet, there's a mistake that's due to my poor email skills. Uh, your, our first talk is on the word blessing. Uh, ambition is the third talk, so you can just remember those. But we're going to focus today on the word blessing, and in particular, why does God bless us, his children? What is his purpose in blessing us? Now here's, a, here's some people who understood the answer to that question and how that should impact their lives. Anne Hasseltine was born in, eight, in 1789 to a fairly well-off family in Bradford, New England in the United States. She grew up to be popular and sociable and wrote in her diary as a child that she was one of the happiest creatures on earth. We all want our children to write that in their diary, don't we? Her life revolved around friends and parties. Then at age 16, she had a powerful encounter with the gospel that resulted first in her conversion and then that of both of her parents and her siblings. At age 18, she read of the journal of David Brainerd, a missionary to the Native American Indians, which spurred a passion within her for those who had no access to the gospel. A year later, she was at a meeting about taking to the gospel to the unreached peoples of Asia when she met Adoniram Judson, who similarly had a, recently had a powerful conversion to Christ. One month after they met, Adoniram wrote this letter to Anne's father. I have to now ask whether you can consent to part with your daughter early next spring to see her no more in this world. Whether you can consent to her departure and her subjugation to the hardships and sufferings of a missionary life. Whether you can consent to her exposure to the dangers of the ocean, to the fatal influences of the southern climate of India, to every kind of want and distress, to degradation, insult, persecution, and perhaps a violent death. Now, what kind of man would write a letter like that to get 
the blessing to marry his daughter. <laughs> Just a week ago, we had a FaceTime call with a young man named Drew who asked our blessing to marry our daughter, Amy. Now, it was, he didn't frame it at all like this. <laughs> now, Anne's father left the decision on whether to marry Adoniram completely up to her. Now, does that strike you as an irresponsible father to respond in such a way? What would cause Anne to even consider ma marrying Adoniram, knowing that they would be facing a life of suffering, hardship, deprivation, leaving her homeland, and potentially never, ever seeing her family again? Well, part of the answer to these questions is that Adoniram and, and her father knew the main message of the Bible. They knew the main message of the storyline of the Bible. That's what we're going to start off looking at today. Did you know the story of the Bible starts at Genesis 12? So that might make you wonder, well, what's Genesis 1 through 11? Genesis 1 through 11 is actually a prologue to the Bible. Now, I didn't know the difference between a prologue and an introduction, so I asked an author in our church, um, what's the difference? And she said, well, an introduction is when the author simply states at the beginning of the book, this is why I've written this book. It's to address this question or this problem. A prologue, the author spell, writes, explains why the book is written by telling stories that illustrate what the problem is. And we see in Genesis 1 through 11 that God gives us many stories that illustrate to us what is the purpose of the whole Bible. Why did he write the Bible? Well, it starts in Genesis 1 through 1 and 2, creation. Six times in the creation narrative, we read, and God saw that it was good. Then the narrative of creation ends with this statement, and God saw everything he had made, and behold, it was very good. So we start off with this picture, this story of creation, that this is how God intended it to be, perfect. People living within the blessings of God, enjoying unbroken fellowship with him. But then we get to Genesis 3. And we see that Adam and Eve fall into sin. And right there at the very beginning, we see what the three major responses to sin are. They have shame. They see that they're naked and are ashamed and they cover themselves with fig leaves. They have fear. They hear God's voice and they hide. And they have guilt. God says to them, have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? And Adam responds with blame shifting. It was her fault. She gave it to me to eat. We see in Genesis 3 that sin kicks off a spiritual Chernobyl in our lives. 
The contamination of sin cannot be contained. Everywhere we go, whether it's because of our own doing or the doing of others, we get stained with the contamination of sin every day we step out of bed and walk through this life. Well, then we see that the sin isn't just a problem for Adam and Eve. Their son, Cain, kills his brother Abel. Then next thing we know, the whole world is so sinful that God decides to destroy everyone on earth except for one family through a flood. Mankind doesn't learn from that lesson. Next thing we know, they're disobeying God's command that they're supposed to spread out and inhabit the whole earth and multiply. Um, and instead, they stay in one location and they decide to build um, a name for themselves. Instead of glorifying God's name, they want a name for themselves. They build the Tower of Babel. Now, it's against this backdrop, this prologue to the Bible that tells us why the whole rest of the story is written, that we get to the start of the story in Genesis 12. And I want to read it for you. Genesis 12, 1 through 3, the start of the story of the Bible. Then the Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country to your people and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make your name great and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse and all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. Now did you see the number of times blessing is in that passage? There's a lot of avenues we could pursue as we look at this passage, the storyline of the Bible. Because Genesis provides seed theological thoughts that as you go through the rest of the story, those seeds continue to get developed and developed. And by the time we get to the epistles, we have theological trees to look at. But those theological trees start as seeds way back in Genesis. And in this passage, there are a few theological seeds that we could look at. The first one is go. Abraham is to go from a place that he doesn't know. God doesn't tell him where, to, where he's going. He just says to go. That God's going to show him. We see that as we walk with God through this life, we have to have a willingness to step out in faith, to go where we don't really know where it's going to end, to leave comfort, to sacrifice, to be willing to leave your country, leave your people, leave your family, to leave all that's familiar and safe. We have to be willing to go and leave that. We see in here this theme of the, a great nation, and as you read through the Old Testament, you're going to see the whole Old Testament is a story about this one nation, the nation of Israel. Then there's blessing. Bless or blessing is just five times in those two verses, verses two and three. 
Now in light of the prologue, we see clearly that the blessing that mankind is most in need of is freedom from this contamination of sin. To be reconciled back to God, to be restored into the relationship with him that he intended us to have in Genesis 1 and 2, but was lost as a result of Genesis 3. And we also see in this passage the theme of all peoples. That's a, a theme you could trace through the whole Old Testament and New Testament. That the purpose or mission of this nation that God was going to create was that through that God was going to bless this nation, but it was through them all the people groups of the world were to be blessed. Now, of all these themes in Genesis, I think I'm behind. Of all these themes in Genesis 12, 1 through 3, go, great nation, blessing, all nations. Obviously today, because you have it in front of you, we're going to focus on the, the theme of blessing. What exactly is the purpose God has in blessing us, his children? Is his purpose so that we're comfortable and happy? Or is there a higher purpose that he has for blessing us? We can see so often in scripture, and even if, in our own lives if we're honest, that God's children often fall into the temptation of focusing on the blessing that God gives us, trying to enjoy it, trying to protect it so we won't lose it. Instead of focusing on God, the giver of the blessing, and why he even is giving us this blessing in the first place. We're going to see, as we read through the Old Testament, that the nation that God forms, that he promised to Abraham, they often become parochial, ethnocentric, focused on their own comfort, focused on preserving and trying to protect these blessings God's given them instead of focusing on God the blesser. And here's just one example. King, King Uzziah in the Bible. We read in 2 Chronicles that King Uzziah, he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. He sought God. And as long as he sought the Lord, God gave him success. His fame spread as far as the border of Egypt because he had become powerful. His fame spread far and wide for he was greatly helped until he became powerful. But after Uzziah became powerful, his pride led to his downfall. He was unfaithful to the Lord. It's examples like this from scripture and also examples in our own daily life that caused one of my Bible college lecturers to ask this very sad and uncomfortable question. It's a question that has stuck with me for 30 years. He asked the question, how can God bless his children without ruining them? 
It's just such a sad question to me that so often the blessings that God gives to us winds up taking us away from him instead of drawing us to him and worshiping him more and wanting to use those blessings for his purposes. Now perhaps the most glaring example in the Old Testament of someone who fell into this trap is Jonah. You know Jonah, the story of Jonah well. God commands Jonah to go to Nineveh, a city of one of Israel's enemies, and to call them to repentance. And what's Jonah's response? He goes in the completely opposite direction. He gets thrown overboard, swallowed by a great fish, spit back out. Then after all this, he finally obeys God and goes to Nineveh. And the people respond to his preaching and they repent. What greater joy for any pastor to know, to have. People respond to your sermon. And we read in Jonah 4, 1 through 3, that instead of rejoicing over the efficacy of his sermon, over their repentance, Jonah has a very different response. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That this is why I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it's better for me to die than to live. My wife often tells me that I'm overreacting at times. This seems like quite the overreaction. People repent, Lord, it's better that I would just die. <laughs> Despite being blessed by being part of the covenant with Abraham, Jonah has a heart that just doesn't love. We're gonna take a look at this topic more tomorrow, or sorry, after morning tea, more about love, but we see that not only did Jonah have a heart that didn't love enough, we see that Jonah has a heart that desires comfort over mission. He wants God's blessings and the comfort that comes with that more than he wants to be involved with mission. We read on that the sun arose, and boy, we've never felt the sun like we've felt it since we've lived in Australia. You have a hot sun here in Australia. I think Jonas experienced that. He's getting scorched. God provided a scorching east wind on top of the sun, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die. And he said, it would be better for me to die than to live. The second time he said this. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said. I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. 
But God said, you've been concerned about this plant, though you didn't tend to it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern about that great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and so many animals? Jonah had not caught God's heart for the promise of Abraham that they were to be blessed so that through them all the peoples, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. He didn't understand the whole purpose God had in blessing Israel as a nation. They were blessed with the knowledge of salvation, but Jonah didn't want to share this with other people, especially their enemies. He would rather enjoy the comforts and the pleasures of material blessings than to see God's salvation come to a people that were different from him. Well, thankfully, there are some bright examples in the Old Testament of people who did understand God's purpose in blessing them. And one such person is the author of Psalm 67 that we read earlier. It's such a good example of people who, someone who understood why God was blessing them. I just want to read it again for you. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine on us. So that your ways may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. May the peoples praise you, O God. May all the people praise you. May the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you rule the peoples with equity and guide the nations of the earth. May the peoples praise you, God. May all the peoples praise you. The land yields its harvests. God, our God, blesses us. May God bless us still so that all the ends of the earth will fear him. Whereas the focus of the blessing in Genesis 1 through 3 was spiritual blessings. They were going to get the blessing that was going to overcome this problem of sin, <coughs> a savior that was going to take care of the problem of sin. The focus of Psalm 67 is on material blessings, <coughs> particularly an abundant and fruitful harvest in verse 6. Now, verses... Yes. Verses 2, 3, and 5, they help remind Israel and help <coughs> remind us as well of the truth of Genesis 2, 12, 2 through 3, that the purpose of God's blessing, when he blesses us, the purpose is for the spiritual benefit and blessing of other people. God blesses us with spiritual blessings and material blessings and the purpose is not for us to just enjoy them. It's not primarily for our comfort and our happiness. It's so that other people were able to take the gospel message to other people. So what about us? We've seen how Israel hasn't done so well. But what, what about us? How has God blessed us spiritually and physically? And how, often, and how do we view those blessings? 
Now, unfortunately, blessed, like so often happens with rich, beautiful theological words from the Bible, when it gets into our culture, it gets watered down and distorted. We see that with the now overused, well-known, hashtag blessed. <laughs> now, I'm sure this hashtag had good intentions at the start. The intent was to try to get people to focus on ways that God has blessed them and share that with other people. Unfortunately, it quickly got twisted to just focus on earthly ways that were blessed. If you look up hashtag blessed, you're going to see all these amazing vacations that people have taken, these amazing meals that they've just eaten, all the success that they've had in life, a new job, a pay increase, graduation from high school, graduation from uni. You'll see these people with tanned, toned, ripped bodies. Look how blessed I am to have this amazing body. Glad Peter agrees with that. <laughs> for himself, not for me. Um, hashtag plus quickly just became very me-focused. Look at this wonderful life I have. Don't you wish you had this great life that I have? Because of all these great material, worldly treasures that I possess. Again, this is a problem and temptation we all too easily fall into, and we don't even need help from our culture to do that. We too quickly get focused on the blessings we have, the material, earthly things, and quickly forget all of the spiritual blessings we have that are really the treasure that we possess. We can focus on the blessing instead of focusing on the blessing. Or, sorry, we focus on the blessing instead of focusing on the blesser and the purpose that God has for us in giving us those blessings. It brings us back to this haunting question. How can God bless his children without ruining them? Why is it that sometimes, maybe even often, the blessings God gives us takes us away, it dulls our spiritual vitality instead of spurring it on. Now, Kathy and I, uh, when we, uh, early in our marriage, we struggled with infertility. We didn't have our first child until we had been married for nine and a half years. And so a lot of people knew us and knew that we were pursuing the mission field and then after we had the, uh, our son, Philip, we started getting these very strange questions. People said, are you going to take him to Turkey with you? And I was like, is that a serious question? <laughs> Where would we leave him if we didn't take him with us? Um, and then we, they had a going away party for us at a park, our, our, our uh, fellowship group from our church. And a couple came up to us and said, um, oh, we're so excited you're going to the mission field. God called us to the mission field as well. We were pursuing it. We finished Bible college. We joined a mission agency, and we were all set to go, and then we got pregnant. 
And I was waiting for the rest of the story, and that was it. They, because God blessed them with a child, they were not going to pursue the mission field anymore. And I wondered if they fell into this trap. The fact that God blessed them, did that make them all of a sudden be disobedient to what he had for them? Do we do any better than Jonah? Do we think of our blessings primarily for ourselves? Do we focus on how we're using God's blessing, particularly the blessing of salvation, to ensure that others are going to be able to partake of this blessing as well? Ephesians 1 through 3 tells us, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. In Christ, we have every spiritual blessing. So now, I'm going to pretend this isn't a sermon. I'm going to pretend this is a classroom setting now. And I want you to answer. Tell me, what are some of the spiritual blessings that you have received in Christ? Salvation, great. Some more. Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. Adoption. Adoption. Forgiveness. Forgiveness. Redemption. Redemption. Hope. 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 Yes. Peace. Good. Freedom from the three responses to sin we saw back in Genesis 3. Freedom from guilt, freedom from shame, freedom from fear, fear of God, fear of judgment. Another freedom, we get freedom from the bondage of sin. We're no longer slaves to sin. Any more? We become children of God, yep, adopted into his family. Good, well, there's, there's probably at least 15 or 20 more we could come up with if I gave you more. Time? Uh, <laughs> you got a pass, pass plus. <laughs> um, you didn't have any time to prepare, but you did well. Uh, we see this... Maybe what's a, just a summary of all this in 2 Peter 1, 3 through 4. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Everything you need to live a godly life, God has given you. We never have an excuse to sin. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that by them you may be participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. We can participate in the divine nature here on this earth because of all of the spiritual blessings God has given us through Jesus. So how are we glorifying God with all these spiritual blessings he's given to us? Did you know Jet in Galatians 3, 8, and 9, it tells us that that promise that we read to Abraham back in the beginning of the storyline of the Bible, Genesis 12, 1 through 3, 
that that was the gospel of the Old Testament. Galatians 3, 8, 9 says, Scripture foresaw that God would justify Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. What was the gospel he announced to Abraham? All nations will be blessed through you. Don't ever forget that a big part of the gospel is that it's for all peoples. Every people group, God wants to come to know him. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Just like Abraham, we are blessed with both physical, earthly blessings, and also spiritual blessings for a purpose, so that all the peoples will be blessed as well with the spiritual blessing of reconciliation to God through Jesus. What are we going to do with this blessing of salvation? Well, Adoniram Judson and Anne Hasseltine understood this principle well, that God blesses, with, blesses us, but with his blessings come responsibilities. That God blesses us so that the nations, the peoples of the earth, will be blessed with salvation. Anne Hasseltine and Adoniram Judson, they did marry. Anne was 21, Adoniram was 22. Less than two weeks after their wedding, they boarded a ship from New England port of Salem and sailed to Burma, modern-day Myanmar. The next 13 years, the first 13 years of their married life would be filled with serious illnesses, lengthy separations, and continual harassment and opposition. Their first child was stillborn. Their second child died at eight months old. Anne was pregnant when Adoniram was taken into the notorious death prison in the city of Ava. He would remain there for the next 20 months. Both Adoniram and Anne suffered immensely during this time. Anne died just eight months after Adoniram was released from death prison when she was only 36 years old and the daughter she gave birth to while Adoniram was in prison died six months later. Why would they choose a life like this? Well, the key is in the last sentence of the letter that Adoniram wrote to Anne's father. Remember that letter? Can you consent to part with your daughter to never see her again in this world? to be subjugation and hardships and sufferings of a missionary life. Well, he ends the last sentence in this letter was, can you consent to all of this for the sake of him who left his heavenly home and died for her and for you? For the sake of perishing immortal souls, for the sake of Zion and for the glory of God. Adoniram and Ann Judson knew that they were blessed with salvation and many other good earthly blessings in order that they could be a blessing to other people. To take, that they knew that they needed to take this blessing of salvation to those who had no access to it. They understood that a close, loving family is a huge blessing from God. 
but one that we must be willing to let go of for the sake of taking the gospel to those who need it. They understood that a homeland is a blessing from God. But no matter how beautiful our homeland is, it's only a sign that points us to our heavenly home. They understood that good health was a blessing to be used to do hard things for God, not something to try to preserve and hold on to. They understood that the goal in life was not to have a happy, comfortable, safe life, but it was to glorify God. Anne's father understood that children are a blessing from God, but it's not a blessing that's to be held on to. It's a blessing to be released back to God for his glory. The result was that Adoniram and Anne Judson planted the first church in Burma. And the church in Myanmar has remained until today, 300 years later, because they were willing to make tremendous sacrifices to bless the people of Burma with salvation. Let's take a moment to pray, and then we're gonna have you work on some reflection questions. Heavenly Father, we first of all acknowledge that you are an incredibly generous, benevolent God. You have blessed us so much more than we deserve. We pray that you'll help us to be faithful to use these blessings to bless other people, and particularly to use the blessings you give us so that others would know of this great salvation that you have offered so that they could also receive every spiritual blessing in Christ. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.